Here we go. My, my buddy Ryan made this soundtrack. It's playing right now. Easy music. I, I wish you could hear it, but um, you'll hear it on the replay, right? It's like uh, It's kind of like the intro to, to Friends or Seinfeld or something. Random, but it is a catchy tune. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. This is the Difference Is You podcast. Uh, we're we're going to meet with Abdul today. And here we go. All right, that, that was the end. <laughs> so, uh, Abdul Chowdhury, um, I've, got, I've got some notes, but I, I do want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself. I from what I know, you're um, you're not from America. You weren't born here, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, you you had told me your your parents are um, Bangladeshi and, and they moved to England. Yes. That's okay. Right. And then, uh, but now we live in the same city. You're uh, you're on the west side of Los Angeles, and I'm on the east side in Monterey Park. And um, I don't know how you found my podcast, but you're here now. Well, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well. We met on the Asian Entrepreneurs Facebook page. Okay. And I'm always curious just to meet entrepreneurs in general. And when it's from our, any kind of minority, I'm always curious just to pick your brain and learn something new and get a different perspective. So I wanted to reach out and I saw that you were doing this podcast and chat with you about how does it feel to have your own podcast? You know, how is it navigating it? Who's your audience? What's the reception been like? Is it your first time doing a podcast? I'm just so curious about someone that's so entrepreneurial and using technology to reach out to people. Okay. You know, because I'm really fascinated by storytellers and how my goal is to be a horror movie producer. That's why I came to America. I came to LA mm. and learning the ropes. And I'm fascinated by the idea that, you know, um, talent management companies, broadcasters are firing people in huge numbers, wow. not because of the COVID, but because their viewing numbers are going down. You don't need the same technology that you needed 15 years ago to reach huge audiences. Wow! Like you could reach huge numbers of audiences that you would need so much infrastructure to do before. So where does that take us? Mm -hmm. Where I can make a show and then put it on, YouTube, put it on Vimeo and monetize it myself and get an audience. You know, mm -hmm. What does it mean for us? Mm -hmm. Actually, and I was interested in talking with you, mm -hmm. like generation, how it felt. Well, um, well, let's go off of that. What, what does it mean for us? And if you see me uh, typing or taking notes, I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I'm 100% focused on my podcast and, and you, um, I'm just taking notes while, while you're talking. So, um, so let, let's go off of that first. What does it mean for, for us? And when you say, us, I imagine you're saying um, minorities, uh, Asian Americans, perhaps, but maybe minorities in general. Um, well, I'll, I'm going to put that question back in your play. What, what do you mean exactly? What, what does that mean for us versus everybody? Well, you know, you grew up with that generalized term, representation is important. And yep. you don't really know what it means until you start seeing people like Aziz Ansari and um, his name, he does the, the show on Netflix. Hassan, 
minute. What's um? I, I don't get out too much. I've, I've I've watched a lot of Netflix. I don't watch too much like comedy or is that the genre he's from or yeah. comedy. And I know also, Russell. I know Russell Peters is a Russell is a famous Peters. Asian uh, slash uh, Indian or I don't know what his background is exactly. But it changes also about how you're represented and seen by the media, by your own people. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know? And it's important to have a voice and represent in the media. Okay, well, so. in, that, in that sense, um, I, I know it's like uh, this racism is a big issue right now with the, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think um, historically, like it, Asians and black people should kind of band together because we are uh, minorities, right? And I think minorities are stronger, you know, if, if we're trying to fight the status quo and we're trying to get better representation with the, the majority, you know, break into the things that normally are, are only open to white people. Um, I, th I think it makes sense for minorities to band together. The sad thing is that um, w when when you even get racism from minorities to minorities, you know, I think I think for the most part, you know, a uh, majority of Asians do kind of support Black Lives Matter movement. And I'm sure there's there's racism both ways. Like I'm sure there's Asians that remain racist towards black people. I'm sure there's black people that remain racist towards Asians. And I, I think that that happens less than you might think, but it might also happen more than you might think. Like um, I just watched this real sad video uh, earlier this year about you know some some black kids and they're being ignorant, but they're like like bullying an old Asian man in the street. And, you know, that's just one instance. I know that it doesn't happen everywhere, but it's just kind of, kind of like, you know, we uh, both sides, Asians, blacks. I think we, we need to do a better job, all of us, at, at, um, at really teaching our kids and, and future generations that like, hey, man, like, you know, it, it, it's sad to say it is like a, a white person's world, especially if you live in America. And there, there are places that are better integrated. Like I'm in Monterey Park in East L.A., and so, you know, it's it's like you go outside and there's there, the, the street names have Chinese letters on them. So it's like I feel at home here because everyone here looks like me. And there's other places in L.A. that are like, you know, this is where the Indian people go. I think uh, like Torrance is one of those areas where, where um, you know, if some, if you look like yourself, you walk out and you'll feel comfortable, you know. That, so um, but in that sense, uh, Los Angeles itself is somewhat uh, culturally diverse and then but each each uh, kind of nationality they kind of have their pockets where they reside you know there's literal chinatown which is right outside of downtown and then a little bit further away where i am alhambra monterey park um you know that's that's kind of where the uh the, you know the yellow-skinned asians kind of settled down uh, san gabriel valley and and the the interesting thing about monterey park specifically is that it, it borders um, east la and montebello which is heavily Hispanic. So right here, you have a integration of Hispanics and Asians, where you go to the Ralphs down the street, and um, it's, it's primarily uh, a Asians and Hispanics, where, where um, you, you won't see that in a lot of places. Uh, but, but back to your point, what, what does it mean for us? What, what does technology and this infrastructure mean for, you know, Asians in general, whether it's like, like Asians that look like me or Asians that look like you? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's it's good i mean it it helps it's it's easy for me to do a podcast and upload it and um and perhaps inspire other people and you know uh the kids growing up see see an asian guy 
on on TV or on YouTube and and think, oh, I can do that too. So I think it's it's only good. Um, it, it might kind of suck in a way that you were saying, oh, people are just getting laid off, but you know that that, that comes with technology, and um, and then, you know, that's just going to force people to gain different skills, and that's just the way things are, you know, with with every technological movement whether it's the industrial revolution or or the technology revolution uh, jobs will be lost and jobs will be created it's just uh, you, you got to adapt or or you can cry about it right it's one way or the other yeah well one thing i hear is learn coding right and learn how to code is how you will survive but what about yeah, us yeah, yes and, yes and no i mean i don't i don't uh i don't think there's any skill that can hurt you you can learn photography. You can learn how to write. You can learn, you know, learn how to swim. Maybe go be a lifeguard. Who who knows, right? Learn how to make make coffee. Whatever. There's, uh, just I think right now it's a bad time to learn coding. It's a great time to learn coding. I can make an argument either way. It's a great time to learn coding because technology is the future. It's a horrible time to learn coding because there's so many things that that you don't need to code anymore. You know, websites are easy to make. Um, there, there's software applications like Zapier and if, if then, if this, then that, that just connect pro. So uh, you can make a case both ways that there things you used to have to code like websites. You don't need to code that anymore, but you'll always need a coder and coders make a lot of money. It, it's a, but, but at the same time, because everybody knows that you need to learn code, you have a whole legion of people learning it now. So it's a saturated industry. So mm -hmm. there, there's, uh, arguments both ways for everything. Yeah, I know. yeah. You know, I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to make movies. <clears throat> and I'm originally from Croydon, which is southeast London. And you have to always remember, you know, where is the supply and the demand? There wasn't that much of a demand for um, filmmakers in England. Mm -hmm. you know, it's such a competitive market. But in America, it feels like even though there are so many movies being made, you still can make your movie and have an audience. Of course. You still have a place to tell a story. Mm -hmm. and, and it's crazy because there are so many people aspiring and you know, to suggest that England is more competitive than America. No, America is one of the most competitive places. Mm -hmm. You have to sacrifice so much, you have to know so much, and you have to give. You know, and it's opportunity and timing and luck. But I, I feel like you have such a great chance to do it here and to learn it. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. well, I never got a chance to see in England. Okay. Well, uh, what would you say? You're 33 years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm even a little bit older than you, but what, why did I just, what is that sound from? I just heard a bling, bling, bling. Is that from my end? Anyway, that sounded like when, when you get a new follower from Twitch, well, I'll figure it out later. So I've got so many tabs open, I can't figure out where, where a sound comes from, you know. But um, I was actually, you know, we, we did chat a little bit uh, via um, Instant Messenger and before the podcast started. And um, but you mentioned something after we started the podcast. It's very interesting to me is that um, h horror movie production is where what you're interested in. Tell me a little bit more about that, Abdul. I really want to make horror movies. That's okay. always been my dream. You know, I grew up watching horror movies, you know, things like Alien and The Thing. Okay. Carpenter is one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh -huh. His music and um, yeah, that that would be my dream to make 
horror movies and okay. I feel like I'm getting there you know I'm learning how to make how stories are made and how teams work and how this business generally works and you really just find your own community of people and you make your stories you know have you where are you on writing your first script still putting it together still putting it together okay but it's possible to do it now you know i i feel like where i was in england versus where i am now uh-huh. i just feel much more confident in attempting to make one you know i know people that have dedicated their lives to one thing you know i have friends that only want to work on camera only want to do sound only want to edit you know you come to america and you find all these specialists well, well that, that that's why that's why you're you're the producer because you you can put all these little specialists and pieces together right yeah yeah well let and me um yeah go ahead i always loved the idea of building teams i was never a big sports fan i don't know much about sports or mm-hmm. music those are two big weaknesses but i love how in american sports this there are so many great quotes to study, so many great people, leaders to study of how to build teams, how to motivate people. And I feel like when I came to America, I got another education really in motivation. Mm, okay. Having aspirations and motivating yourself and being driven. And I feel like those are very American things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are some maybe some of the better things to pick up from America. Uh, I, I do think that motivation is big and uh it, it, but i also believe that a, a little bit um you know when you when you have too much of a good thing it can be bad too right it could turn into greed and capitalism uh the profit motive can can end up leading you down the the dark path you know if you don't really uh keep in mind the the true reason beyond money that, that you end up doing things so um but but yeah no i've yeah, I, I try to stay positive and, and pull the best lessons, but I've, I've also seen the worst of it, man. I've also, I mean, we're looking at it right now. We're looking at a president that, that cannot accept that he, he lost, right? Yeah. So, like, while, while there are some f- characteristics that I admire about Trump, that, like, he even won the presidency in the first place, uh, you know, he overcame a lot of doubters and odds. So you got to respect yeah. that, right? That, like, wow, this, this guy came from no political experience and then he won with this super positive attitude. Well, that same attitude won't, won't let him accept that he actually lost, you see? So there, there's, a, a, you know, pros and cons of that, you know, go-getter attitude and I can't lose attitude. Well, you, you're seeing it play out right now. Agreed. And sometimes you're also not fit for the job. You're sometimes you're not fit for the job, exactly. Um, well, you had, you had said some things like anyone can make a movie. That's more true now than ever. Like what? What was that horror movie uh, that was made back in the day? The kids ran around with uh, the eight millimeter camera or whatever. Um, the, the I forget. Uh, the Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project, exactly. Like they just freaking ran around and made that movie, and this was what 15, 20 years ago, right? And now you could, yeah. Movie, and also right now Blumhouse, another great example of making these low budget incredible horror movies well, what is that i'm gonna write these down because uh, my girlfriend and i are looking for horror f- films to watch actually on netflix and and wherever we can't really f- we've seen them all so give me some recommendations for for the audience there's a great one on netflix right now called his house his house okay movie about immigrants that come to england and face racism as they're trying to assimilate in england okay uh, such a beautiful story because 
my parents came my dad came from from bangladesh to england okay and he struggled a lot you know with racism and and having a hard time just from people you know how they treated him and how he had to adjust in england in mm-hmm. a completely different country and the main character works in a bank my dad worked in a bank in mm-hmm. bangladesh mm-hmm. and then he comes to england and he's working in a restaurant wow but he did my dad is very ambitious and he's done very, very well for himself okay well what does your dad do right now or is he retired he has a restaurant in oh, england oh wow nice did you ever work in that restaurant yeah I I've worked with my dad. Why? Do you no, uh, I laugh because I I I've had some restaurant experience and I just I hated it. <laughs> it's like the worst job I've ever had. I mean it uh it really humbled me and, and taught me some different kind of work ethic and sh- showed me a lot about human beings. I don't know if if restaurants in England are different from restaurants in America, but Americans to generalize they they have a very entitled attitude you know like there there's the whole t- tipping economy and, and it goes both ways you know there there's this there's this kind of entitlement from customers and the waiters you know the waiters expect to get tipped on the other hand the um the customers have a have a very poor attitude in that they they feel like you know for their tip that they deserve to, to be treated like royalty and um and they and they in Americans in general I don't say everybody does this but um they tend to treat their 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 service people like crap and and not like actual human beings you know I don't know if you have experienced this on on either side as a customer here or you know working in a restaurant in England Yeah I worked my dad had cab offices he was a taxi driver for a long time mm-hmm. he was in restaurants and I worked for him in both mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. guy answering the phones and dispatching the drivers and dealing with the customers that came on site and you learn so much just interacting with people right you learn about communication you learn about working in a team you learn about dealing with rude people and disappointed people mm-hmm. tactically how do you deal with it how do you allocate resources when somebody needs to go here you know who's more urgent what's more immediate i feel like those can be difficult places and you shouldn't spend too long working in them you know you should have unless that's your end goal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. have a restaurant or have a cab office i feel like any situation you're in you should just learn from you know you need a, a mentor once told me attract don't chase mm-hmm. you know mhm mhm how do you survive in nature you attract mm. right you plants and everything it attracts things and he's a wise guy and i feel like his his advice was create mm-hmm. in our industry you attract by creating <laughs> absolutely man you know um i i'm going to uh, i don't know if i want to say borrow or just steal that quote right now attract not chase but that's the simplest way to to put um my new philosophy of marketing not mine i mean like everybody is kind of going into this attract don't chase create content let your prospects come to you kind of but uh i don't i think a lot of people are still in in the the chase mentality when it comes to business and in prospecting and leads is you know going after your customers finding them which you i think there's you got to do a little bit of both but if you really have to choose where to focus your time i agree it's on creating and, and attracting the people that actually want to see your stuff rather than than pushing your stuff to people that may not even want to see it so um 100% man whoever you're 
your mentor was has helped me out from you just sharing that that phrase with me um i i want to uh i know um previously you had mentioned uh entrepreneurialism in the asian community and maybe even i don't know why you had uh mentioned i think you had mentioned your parents uh, didn't really agree with you pursuing entertainment um is that something you might want to talk about right now yeah okay well how do your family feel and i feel like because our communities are different right yeah or as the western tradition goes and how much of an influence our parents opinions have on our choices in life right of course yeah it weighs so heavily so in the bengali culture mm-hmm. you know there are all those successful filmmakers yeah. especially now where in our community in bangladesh it's a looked down upon um profession you know you can't make a, a living out of it really well because they, yeah mm-hmm. no please go ahead well, it's uh, a couple different ways to look at this, man. Um, judging my personal experience is, is not quite fair because my my parents uh, were, were not the typical Asian parents, but all my, all my friends' parents were. So I, I, I can see it from both perspectives. And so for the, the, the people that grew up under traditional Asian culture, like I imagine, you know, the, the Chinese, Taiwanese, that's that's my nationality. They're very similar to the Bengalis in the sense that, you know, they just want you to become a doctor or a lawyer. So you have really, literally two choices if you, you grow up under, a, you know, doctor, lawyer, accountant, you better, you know, go, go to Harvard. Pretty much that's your choice. Um, uh, if, if you don't do any of those above, you're a failure, you know, uh, that, that, to exaggerate. But that's kind of the truth if you grow up under a traditional Asian it's culture. A, right? it's, it's a guaranteed safe route that they know. You're going to at least, you're not going to drown in this world. Mm-hmm. If you get this job, you're going to make enough money to provide for your wife and kids. And, and to anybody, any kids, any uh, high schoolers, you know, that come across this episode, um, if you have, if I have to give any of them advice, you know what, I, I don't know if I'm going to change my tune, um, but I might just have to say black and white like fuck your parents okay at the end of the day you can either make your parents happy or you can make yourselves happy and if if your own happiness is is um subject to your parents happiness uh uh i feel bad for you i feel very bad for you you have to kind of disconnect that what i will say is that uh if your parents are are really really love you they're gonna love you regardless of what choice you make you know, and just um, and I'm not sorry to say this. This is the truth. OK, it's either your happiness you choose right now or your parents happiness. And there's really no in between. There's really no in between. You can you can suffer for the rest of your life and then and, and go be that doctor that you never wanted to be. And then you might blow your brains out at 45 years of age because you really hate your job. And you just realized you spent 20 years of your life flushing the sh- your, your life down the toilet and then you'll think about suicide. So I feel like I'm, I'm, I, from making that statement, fuck your parents. I'm saving a lot of people from suicide in the future. So I, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to stay, to stick to that comment right now. Um, fuck your parents, man. Fuck them. Get cut off. You know, if they threaten to cut you off, fuck them. You know what I've always learned? It's gonna be fine. You're not gonna starve to death. You might think you will, but you're not. Yeah, that's such great advice. You know. Because if you're doing it, you'll get to where you're going to. You know, you have to know what do you really want to achieve? What is it going to take? 
what are you willing to give for it yeah. and then how do you actually make it happen right and it's also someone once told me it's doing what you don't want to do as well when you're getting there that's yeah. success it's a part of the success here's the thing man it's like uh work is work right that's why they call it work you can you know there will be fun times but 90% of it is going to feel like work i think regardless of what you do now now if you're chasing your dream and chasing your passion right the i think the work doesn't feel like work you know i think if if you're in your field yeah you might be working right you know there are long days producing your own movie right but that kind of work at the end of the day i think that that 8 10 12 hour day will will go by like like that it's still 12 hours of work right but if you're if you're doing your own thing if you're doing your passion right that day goes by and then the thing that people don't think about is that you know when you go to sleep you go to sleep looking forward to the next day you look forward to going to work and that that's the difference about um, doing something you enjoy chasing your passions versus chasing somebody else's passion um, is that like the biggest difference uh, I've found in, in like really just being on my path versus being on somebody else's path is that when you're on someone else's path, you, you freaking dread waking up to work every day. You're like, fuck. But when, when you're on your own path, when you realize you're on the right path, you, you start to look forward waking up. When you wake up, you wake up with, with a totally different energy. You wake up and you're like, oh, man, I want to start this day versus hit the snooze button like, oh, please don't tell me I just woke up, you know? yeah and but you always have to be careful and be practical just because you're pursuing your dreams doesn't mean that you're passive in it right you have to anticipate okay which field am i entering because of my passion and then what does it look like in 20 years what does it look like in 25 years is there retirement here am i planning for it do i if i'm doing this side type of business in 20 years when i physically can't do it anymore can i be a vendor can I start putting things in place right now so that I can just be the guy that sells this stuff and manages? Because you have to be so cognizant about your physicality and the limitations that are coming, right? You have to think about the future all the time. And, and, that, and that's, a, that's a big weakness of mine, mm. you know? And uh, I, I could probably think on where, where your head's at a little bit more. Um, not, not that I don't completely, but... You know, I, I think there's uh, a yin and a yang to everything, right? So there's what you just mentioned, right? Like, you have to see if, if I follow this, will, will I get destroyed by future technology? Like anybody, you, you talked about people getting laid off, not, not because the work's not there, it's because they don't need these, these jobs have been made obsolete with technology, right? Yeah. So, so had these same people who are getting laid off right now, if they could see this coming, would they have made different choices and learned different skills in the five or 10 years leading up to this point, you know? Um, so on that point, yes, plan ahead, right? But I do want to also, while I agree with you 100%, I had mentioned the, the yin and the yang, right? There's there's two sides to every coin. You know, if you're only looking at a coin and, right, literally like, you know, if this cup, this cup has, has two different things on it, you know, Meowie Christmas, Oh, actually, it says the same thing on both sides. So this cup is not a, the best example, right? But let's say I'm holding up an actual penny, right? And then you're describing the penny and you're saying, well, it's heads. And I'm like, no, nah, I see tails. We're, we're, we're literally looking at the two sides of the same coin. So, so you gave the yin, right? You want to plan ahead, right? Where I'm going to 
propose to the audience that the, the different philosophy is the yang where just be like water like i didn't make it up bruce lee did or bruce lee probably didn't make it up he borrowed the philo water philosophy from his master bruce lee just made it popular right you yeah. could plan ahead you could spend forever making the best plan that that might never materialize because you just nothing's ever perfect right um, kind of like having a baby everybody always wants to have the perfect job the perfect situation but also i keep hearing nothing's going to be perfect man just have the baby he's it's in my head because it might be something i'm planning on in the near future right so um it so so you presented the plan ahead always look forward but i'm gonna go ahead and insert the just be like water man would you do whatever feels right use your intuition flow like water do take the easiest path from a to b okay just 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 go with the flow man forget about the plan right the plan doesn't matter it's just the here and the now that matters right you just uh you got to protect your sanity you know yeah. you, you can plan but you can also plan too much and not get anything done just go out there go go out there go on your your phone hit record just start talking man just start talking and post it to youtube and facebook live and fuck it who cares man yeah look i could go outside i could get hit by a bus so what good does my 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 freaking plans do me you know if i die tomorrow like who cares man just have a good time today here's here's something that you might want to think about right if you if you knew you were gonna die, okay, in a couple weeks, what what would that change with what you're doing right now? You don't have to answer me, but it's always worth thinking about. If you knew you were gonna die really soon, right? Maybe you got some terminal illness. What? Uh, how would that change what your answer is for whatever questions you're asking yourself? What would you do differently today or tomorrow if you knew you're gonna die in early 2021? I pose that to not just you pose that to the audience if you if you knew you're gonna die in the very near future does that change your answer to the the questions you're asking yourself right now then i'll just leave it at that um you can answer or we can move on to a different topic well if we can talk about this it's something that's very close to my heart yeah you know i was never i was never a graphic designer you know not officially but I've been doing something with a group of people where I'm doing all of the graphic design and editing something. I don't know if you want to pull it up or if you can see it on your computer screen right now. Mm -hmm. I'll send you the link. Okay. I, I can definitely pull it up for the audience and um, I'll, I'll just fill the, the space and, and say something real quick. You had asked me about my parents and, and how they feel. Um, all right, let me... Uh, let me see if I could open this up chat box. I can I can put this on the screen for the audience too. This is your your Instagram. Yeah. All right. I'll go ahead and uh, throw it up for the audience because I'm able to do that. And while I'm doing that, I will tell you about uh, my personal um, journey. Well, not journey, but uh, you were talking about parents, and and I was saying you know my parents weren't the traditional parents. And so I, I guess I was fortunate not to have um, the, the traditional Asian upbringing in a way and that they're a lot more open with, with me just doing what I want to do so that, yeah, so um, here, let me blow, I'm going to blow this up for the audience. So we're, uh, we're looking at your, your, 
what do you call this your uh your instagram right now um okay so what, what would you like to show the audience on this page this is the project that we're doing independently where i'm trying to make a horror film okay about a cult in la okay so so this is kind of like uh what you said um part of your your script in progress something that i want to do that is just completely a collective of friends coming together and trying to use our different skills to make something so you have the actors you have somebody that knows this somebody that knows that and everybody gives their skills to this so i run this social media page okay. which you know i've never really done before all right so okay well uh i've i got it up for the audience and i'm gonna um put it back to your face right now we can pull this up as necessary so well i want to just let you know where where i'm coming from it and you know i when i say things i'm i'm a little bit um how do you say i can be a little bit um not very empathetic to the other person's situation you know i i say it like oh fuck the parents it's easy to say. i i understand it's not that easy man i so it's not that i'm unaware uh, it's easy for me to say that for a couple reasons is that um, my parents are, are fully supportive of whatever. I also have the personal experience where my father passed away in 2006. So I'm a 37 year old man, but I haven't had my father, a male authority figure in my life for the last 14 years. Now, that being said, were he still alive, he he would most likely just be fine with whatever I want to do. Um he might, you know, he might uh, want me to, you know, doctor, lawyer, some traditional thing. But at the same time, I did not have the most traditional Asian parents for whatever reason. My mom and my dad were very just supportive of me. And, and, and so that was my upbringing. Had a lot of freedom, had a lot of support with whatever I wanted to do. It's totally not traditional Asian parents. So in that sense, uh, I, w I was very fortunate, very lucky. On the other hand, uh, my father did die when I was 23 years old from heart disease, uh, heart attack. And so th in that sense, I'm, I'm not that fortunate to, to not have my dad in my life for, you know, the last however many years, 14 years. But I, I pull a, a still a positive from that, right? And be, um, because you have to. It, it, uh, part of it is that, like, I can get a little bit um, insane in that, like, I can be the insane um, forever optimist, right? Like you could, you could do it in like a practical way, which is how I do it. Or, or you could be, you know, the, the insane optimist and just, and just totally, um, ignore reality, right? That's not, that's not who I think I am. But for example, like how, how could you frame, uh, your father's death in a positive way? Well, it, it forced me to gain a lot of hard skills, right? Like, um, like I had relied on my, parents for a lot of things I, um, my dad was you know uh, brought home the money so money was never an issue for me while he was alive if I wanted something it just be hey dad I need this give me a car whatever um, so in that sense I was kind of spoiled and you know the day he died from that moment on it was kind of like I'm on my own man I, I, I got to look out for my mom and my sister now and so it's like well I just kind of got thrown into the wild uh, all of a sudden which you know I'm nothing special most kids are like that their whole lives right and they they learn some lessons and they learn some discipline and they learn they have to make their own money but uh up until i was 23 years old 
I was uh, pretty spoiled. Like I didn't really have to, I w you know, I didn't have to earn money if I didn't want to. Um, that's not to say I, I wouldn't have, but from that from that moment on, it was like, oh man, I'm I'm my own man, and so I've uh, I've I've been hardened in a way from from my father's death. I've I've had to go through um, life uh, and follow a different path than if he were still alive. So in in that sense, I can pull a lot of positives from it. I'm I'm a much stronger and much more powerful person from that experience. Um, some some people might not never recover from something like that. Um, obviously I went through the, the periods of, of depression that, that most people will go through. Um, and, but I, I try to come out stronger. Like you, you can only frame things in a positive light because if you frame things in a negative light, turns you into a very negative person, it will turn you into a very uh, cynical person. And you're going to uh, have a mindset of why me, you're going to have this victim mentality. You're always going to have excuses for things and, um, you're going to feel sorry for yourself. And right. that's, that's no way to live life, right? And um, so sometimes you just have to be a, appreciative of what you have instead of feeling sorry for the things that you don't have or that you lost. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not new in, in promoting these kinds of views, it, it, but these things are, are uh, easier said than actually done in your head. You can read a book about thinking positive, right? It's much harder to think positive about your own personal tragedies that happen in your life. That, so there's one thing of uh, reading about it and even hearing me talk about it. It's a different thing to actually internalize that thought. How was that? Do you think it was your upbringing? Was it, were you religiously raised or? Uh, that's another good question. Um, I, I wasn't because uh, my my name is Omar, but I'm like a yellow skinned Asian. So, so it doesn't immediately make sense to most people. But, uh, my, my mom's side of the family, both, both Taiwanese, uh, by, by nationality, grandparents from China. So I, I just tell people Chinese, Taiwanese is kind of the same thing to me. Um, but my mom's side of the family, they were, their religion was Islam. So they're Muslims. My dad's side of the family, Christianity. And I guess uh, maybe humorously, they couldn't really decide on how to raise me. So they didn't raise me with any religion. For me, I was very fortunate because uh, I have a very unique view on religion. Like my best friend growing up was uh, his name is Chuck, Chuck Thompson. Um, he's a white guy, but his parents were Buddhist and they were chanting every day. I go to his house. They were like, Nam Yoho Renge Kyo. So I, I got a very open-minded exposure to religion. I had a, a, a Muslim mom, a Christian dad, and a Buddhist best friend, and no one was pushing anything on me. So I, I, I literally had no beliefs. <laughs> I had no beliefs. Like, and that's a very weird way to grow up, but it's how I grew up. So it's, it's left me with a very open-minded mindset uh, to religion. I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but that, that is uh, how I was raised. It really does. Was your mom practicing? Uh, even even my mom. She's the oldest in in a family of five, and um, some of some of my my aunts are most almost 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 all of my aunts are are hardcore Muslims. Like where they wear the head wrap and everything. Um, and so like my aunts, my, one of my aunts' family. Uh, like her and all her kid, all the daughters. There's a, a quite a few daughters in the family. All all very like wrap themselves to different degrees and very follow the traditional 
um, Muslim followings. Uh, but my mom being the oldest, uh, for whatever reason, she was just kind of like, nah, didn't really practice it much. You know, maybe it was had to compromise a little bit marrying a Christian man and he had to compromise a little bit meeting a uh, marrying a Muslim woman. But no, it was um, the only the only real thing growing up was like, oh, uh, bacon is, is bad, but she, I still ate it. You know, it was like, I was like, what the fuck? It tastes good. <laughs> yeah. So nothing was forced on me, even though my mom, I don't know if she eats. I think she might eat bacon now. I don't even remember if she does or not, even though like the not eating bacon thing was the main thing she didn't do when I was younger. She didn't care if I ate it or not. She still left it to my own. You know, she, I was just, I just knew that they felt like it was not a right thing to do, but it wasn't forced on me either. Do you think you're, I wonder about that sometimes. People that were raised by religious parents that are not religious, do they become religious later in life as you get older, you know? Because my parents are religious. Yeah. I was raised, I'm Muslim. Now, and being in the entertainment industry, you know, you're always told, oh, LA is, you know, don't work in the entertainment industry, don't work in Hollywood, don't make movies, you know, it's a sin. But I grew up wanting to tell, wanting to make movies, you know, this was always what I wanted to do, this was my passion. And you, you fight this, right, inside of you, where you're like, yeah, I'm a good person and I believe in God, but I want to make movies too. You know, I want to work with filmmakers and I want to work with... And why... And why why are you not a good person if you go and do those kind of things that's what i would ask right right like why why is it taking away from your faith and islam and anything why is any of your choices connected to your family and your generations you know, why is it like when you do something your grandmother is going to be so disappointed in you and, and I, this isn't from just me it's talking with people that come from communities that are so close you know, where your choices are connected to your whole family representation. You know? Well, take it from me, man. They, no. they no. will, they will, uh, they'll, they'll still love you, man. Trust me. I mean, they might, they might try to emotionally manipulate you to get you to become the version of you that, that they want you to be. But ew, fuck it, dude. They will, uh, they have no choice, bro. They, they can't. I mean, they can always have another son. Good luck to them. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're too old at this point to have another son. But it's like, take take it from me, man. I I haven't like okay. My mom's not dead. She's she's alive, and I hope she lives forever, right? But um, I may have disappointed her in my choices, and she may have expressed the even my mom. I told you she's open minded, but even some things that I've I've done or I'm doing, she might not agree with, but. I'm her son. She only has one son. I don't, I mean, she might not be able to have kids. I don't know, man. Those are female problems. I'm not going to get into those. But but I'm saying, like, I'm still her son. I'm her firstborn. I'm her only son that I that I know of. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't think she's popped out another one that I don't know of. I'm just saying, man, like... No, she, I get it. She I... only has me, right? It's not like... And it, look, if she decides never to talk to me again, well, that's something... That's, that's a future problem okay you're i guess you have the benefit today of talking to a guy that's like way out on that this end of, of the the spectrum okay talk about spectrum i'm actually autistic but that's i'll talk about that in a little bit if you want yeah. i'm way out there on the the yin and the yang okay 
If you talk about somebody who's followed the normal path, went to Harvard, got his degree, then went to med school, and now he's a doctor, you'll get the ying. You talk to me, like the, the, the Bruce Lee of marketing over here, you get the yang. Okay, I'm just saying, all right? I don't think about future problems. I deal with the problems as they come to me because future problems may never be a problem. You, you, you can prepare for how many problems could there be, really, right? Like if I go outside, there might be a tornado. So I'm going to have to prepare for that, right? Right. Or I could just say, well, fuck it. I need to go to the store. And if a tornado comes, I'll deal with it when it comes. But if I think too hard about it, right, I may never go outside. And that tornado may never even come because the weather's perfect in L.A. Or I could think about every possible horrible thing that might come to me if I go outside and I, I might drive myself crazy. So no, it's good advice. I get what you're saying. Yeah, man. Um, I don't even know. See, I tend to, to get way off topic, but... Um, we're, we're talking about our parents and how our parents control our lives and not just our parents, the family members, grandparents, maybe even friends, but, but the, the people closest to us tend to control us. And, uh, I've, I've brought this up. Sometimes you'll hear me bring this up over and over again, but I, I use the term energy vampire in a spiritual term. Right. And so, so it, it, I'm very good at generalizing and, and it's a strength and a weakness, but if I can generalize for a moment and just put people in two different groups, okay? So in your life, you, you just divide people in, in two different categories. They're either energy vampires or they're in the other group, okay? You, you have to decide. You have to decide. Is Omar an energy vampire? Is, is he sucking me dry or is he giving me confidence to, to go forward with my path? You, you put people in two buckets. They're either, they either give you energy or they suck you dry of energy, and then the people that suck you dry, you have to cut them out of your life 100%. There's no, uh, no, just fuck it, dude. Fuck them. And it's not to say forever. It's to say when, when you're a little bit more balanced, then you, you can introduce them back into your life if they're important to you, right? But you have to be surgical about this. You have to treat them like a cancer, okay? Anyone sucking you dry of energy, if, if you're willing to keep them in your life, man, I hope you have bucket loads of energy because they're like cancers to your soul right now, you know? Yeah. And if you talk to a family member that's like, Abdul, I don't think you should be doing this. You know what? You're disappointing me. You're down the wrong path. And you know, we're Muslims. You're going to go to hell because if you keep doing entertainment, you know, these people you're spending, that's a fucking energy vampire. And you need to cut that cancer out of your life tomorrow, today, right now. Um, I don't know, man. We, we beat the, the parent horse to death. Um, I don't know. You asked me a couple other questions. What's my, my vision? I don't really want to talk about myself. Maybe if we have some time um, at the end, uh, I could tell you more about myself, how, how I want to see my podcast. So I would rather um, inspire you to start your own podcast. I, I know you might already have your own YouTube channel. I, I just want to inspire you to hit record. Who cares? Hit record. Upload. Make a playlist called vlogs so, so you don't have to edit these things. Just what you think. Um, like you said, content attracts. Somehow you came to me and wanted to be on my podcast versus me begging people to come on my podcast, right? And th this was just by way of just me putting myself out there, you know? So so to tie in how we even came together, how you got on this podcast and what you said earlier of, of just attract, don't chase. Well, that's how you even got to my podcast. 
you know, and I would like more of that. I, I, I wish my whole schedule was full of people begging me to get on the show rather than me having to go knock on their door, right? Um, so tell us about being a producer and more specifically a, a coordinator. You can educate me. I don't even know what a producer or a coordinator really does on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, it depends on what kind of producer you are, but mainly you're dealing with actually making it happen. So if you're an executive producer, you're the production company and you're handling all of the deals and then negotiating how it actually gets paid for, mm -hmm. how it gets broadcast or shown somewhere, mm -hmm. it's a movie, how it's being exhibited, mm -hmm. how it's being distributed, who is okay. the salesman for it. And if there's also the kind of physical producer that's on the ground and working with the crews and making sure that everybody arrives on time and there's a location plan and there's lunch coming on time and there's an evacuation plan and they have the vehicles picking everybody up at the right times. Uh -huh. is, that, just, is that what they call like the, the, the showrunner kind of? You know, they have a term like because producer gets thrown around, but the guy actually on the scene, I've, I've heard the, the term showrunner because they're, they're literally they're running the show that day. Yeah, the showrunner is the is usually one of the executive producers as mm -hmm. well. Okay. okay. And they oversee everything. They're more in television. Oh, I was going to ask, what did you study at university? Uh, I, I, um... My undergrad was uh, locally at uh, USC Trojans, University of Southern California. And I majored, I had a double major in philosophy and economics. And originally I wanted to go to law school. Um, that, that never happened because my father passed away and I just had to start working. So my first career was in real estate. And, uh, and I learned uh, more sales through, through real estate and then uh, marketing didn't really happen until after my sales career. I had multiple sales careers after uh, real estate. Um, but marketing, the last, I would say, maybe six years of my life was marketing. So it was uh, maybe 10 years of sales and then six years of marketing. And marketing is just an extension of sales. Sales is a very one-to-one -one kind of thing. And then marketing, your message gets broadcast to you know hundreds of people, millions of people. So it's uh, marketing is just sales to more people is kind of how I, I would define it. But did I learn any of this in school? Not not really. But but sales sales is a lifetime skill that you develop from from the time that you're born, because the, the sales, the essence of sales is, is empathy. Right. It being able to relate. And and um, and I say, look, I say manipulate in a very neutral term. Um, manipulate has has a negative connotations, but the essence of sales and marketing is literally manipulating people via their emotions and the words that you use to achieve what you want want to do. Um, but that that's kind of the old school thought, right? The new school thought, and this is actually more my philosophy nowadays, is um, sales and marketing. It, it really is and should be about helping people, right? Helping them achieve their purpose helping solve their problems. And that that's the yin and the yang. There, there's a little bit of, of man, manipulation you have to do on the yin side. Uh, on the yang side, there, there is the, uh, you gotta help them with what they're trying to do. You, ha you have to help to sell. O otherwise, you're doing the wrong kind of sales. But if you, don't, if you don't push people a little bit, right, they'll never make a decision. If you don't simplify someone's decision for them, they have too many choices. So there's, there's a little bit of a pull that you have to do. There's a little bit of push that you have to do. Um, in, in the end, I think uh, it's, it's uh, yin and the yang and, and kind of bringing it together.
That's so awesome. And that relates to what I feel like a producer has to do. Mm-hmm. You know, putting something together, selling stuff, selling your enthusiasm, like getting people on board with the vision and finding the right team of people. Because every time you do a production, you're creating a business. Top down, right? You have to establish everything that you want mm-hmm. out of any, any type of business that you would establish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what kind of energy do you want it to have? What kind of life do you want it to have? After you're done making the film, how do you give it, how do you sell it and make sure it has a life or is going to be part of a catalog or a library where it can be taken care of? Because when you're the producer, you're dealing on behalf of the creative people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're representing them. So how do you do it in their best interest? How do you make sure that if it's a filmmaker that wants to have a career, how do you sustain it in the long term? Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in being the kind of producer that can help create something where the filmmaker and the crew have something, have a share in the movie. Mm. You know, why can't we do it like that? You can. I mean, what's stopping you from doing it like that? Right now you have a camera operator, you pay them whatever, and then they're done. They move on from on to the next one. Do you know the biggest problem camera operators have is their backs and just carrying around a 15 pound plus camera. Wow. A very short lived career. What if that camera operator was and had equity in 10, 15 movies? You know, he could make that as part of his retirement. Hey man, what, uh, I'll extend this offer to you. I'll, I will give free, um, posture classes to your whole team whenever you want uh, we can do one whenever you could be like hey hey guys i got this um guy omar he's a personal trainer he's the founder of posture camp i've invited him we could do it virtual or in person uh, he um and something the producer does for his staff and his team uh, hey we're gonna um today we're gonna start the day with uh, a quick uh, 20 minute um you know how to improve your posture while you're on set you know, here's Omar. Uh, we could do it virtually if you want. Um, not now that you brought that up. It's not something I thought about. The camera guy that's got this short-lived career because he's got you know 100-pound equipment on his back, right? Um, but now, now you brought it to my attention. It's because uh, because I I have this this um, thesis. What uh, kind of to bring posture camp into the picture? That's my side hustle. For any audience members that don't know, I have a um, a company that I'm working on on the side called Posture Camp, and our initiative is to fix everybody's posture, because I start from the thesis that everybody has bad posture, from the cameraman to your office worker to your your gamer to anyone that sits in a chair, which is like everybody, which is what I'm doing now. Um, even I'm not having good posture right now, right? I could be sitting up a little bit taller. Everybody. Why it feels more comfortable when you lower your shoulders? What is it? It's like, right? Well, well because you're sh- because I'll tell you why. Because from the day we're born, we are in a lifelong battle with gravity. Gravity wants us to lay down, but we we sit up, we we stand up. So we're fighting gravity, and 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 then gravity wants to make you hunched over in your chair. That's natural. So so you have to be, uh, you have to consciously fight gravity. Every waking moment of your life, every breath you take every step you take you are literally fighting gravity a force that you know what that gravity is a strong force to fight you know if you're overweight you you even you feel that to a greater degree so the first step in fighting gravity is don't be overweight 
right? Because every step you take, if you weigh 300 pounds, that's a a hundred some pounds extra that you have to carry around. Were you, you know? ever overweight? Um, I grew up as an overweight kid. So in my head, you know, you might see some very fit Asian man walking around, but in my head, I'm always that overweight kid. And then I've had a couple periods in my adult life that I've been overweight. How bad? Uh, I've, I've, I've hit, not horribly bad, but I've, I've tipped the scale at, at over 200 pounds before. Um, I'm five foot 10. It doesn't look horrible, but when, when you're over 200 pounds, it's noticeable in your face and in your body. Yeah. You know, until I was 26, 27 years old, I was 300 pounds. And I used to, <laughs> I used to have a 47 inch waist. Damn, 300 pounds. Hey, can you uh, entertain the audience real quick? I'm going to go take a piss and then I'll, I'll come right back. Oh my, don't leave me like this. I'm not, what am I going to say? Oh man, did you even say anything or did you just sit there in silence for a minute? Oh, I thought I would get more sympathy than damn. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't no sympathy from me. I mean, I'd give you sympathy, but like, what do you want me to say? Like, no, I like it. I like it. It's, it's a mean, good thing. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm like more congratulating you that you're not 300 pounds anymore. I mean, if you were still 300 pounds, man, I, I probably, you know, I, I obviously I would be able to tell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got down to 154 just through exercise and eating better. And it changed everything. Like my confidence, my energy, my drive, my ambitions. Yeah. Communicate with people. It just flipped everything. How, how did you get to 300 pounds? Well, what was that journey like? I mean, that's not easy to weigh 300 pounds. I mean, maybe with, with I mean, it's easier than, than you might imagine, but like, See, yeah. When, you know, the, my dad owns a restaurant, food is how mm. show affection and love in our community. Wow. I'm the eldest of five kids. Okay. You're always being given food from everybody and just spoiled. So then when I came to America, you know, this was really for the past five years, a real struggle and learning everything and really facing hardships. When, when did you lose the weight? When you came here or... I had lost it before I came. Okay, here. okay. And I feel like I got the opportunity to come out here because I lost the weight, you know, because I also committed to losing the weight. And I didn't see any results going to the gym for 18 months. You know, I just had to keep going every day. And I didn't know how to train. So I would be in the gym for three hours just doing basic exercises, 
and just trying to do anything I could and starving myself to the point where sometimes my hair was was starting to fall out and but I was so serious and committed because mm. I didn't want to be that heavy anymore you know it was just messing with me in general wow could, would you be able to send me one of your fat pictures I want to put that on the cover of this episode you know do me like that come on no it's gonna be do you want to in, in, inspire a generation of asian kids to show that this is possible right because my fat story isn't as amazing going from 200 pounds back down to, to 150 or 160 is not as inspiring as 300 pounds back down to 155 you literally lost half a human being right but anyway yeah. it's, it's up to you i, I would like to not not to shame your previous self, but more to show someone like, dude, look what this guy did on his own without a trainer, without drugs, without steroids, just by sheer will and determination. And now he's in America making movies from Bangladesh, from England to here and lost the weight. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's an inspiring story, man. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. What? Uh, I don't know if we, we covered everything that you wanted to, to cover about, but I I always like to wrap it up in an hour. Uh, we can go a little bit longer, but um, I mean, sometimes for me, not sometimes, every single time I actually I hit the hour mark, I'm I'm freaking amazed because uh, like I when I started the podcast, I didn't know wh what I wanted it to be, where it was going, whether I could fill a, an entire hour. I'm like, dude, I I'm an introvert. I don't talk, so I'm like. Never, I never have conversations in real life that last longer than 10 seconds. Hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm good, Pete, bye. I don't even care about asking the other person because I'm autistic. So I, I don't even like, if I don't care about how you're doing, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing. So say uh, people, and it's not like I'm aware, I'm unaware of how to make small talk. It's just small talk doesn't interest me and mm -hmm. I don't see the value of it. I see the value of it, but it's like, I don't want to do it. So I'm not going to do things anymore that I don't want to do. I used to do it, but like, yeah, I got, you got, at some points in life, you got to be selfish and do what you want to do. So, I mean, it sounds funny, but in real estate, right? In real estate, 15 plus years ago is like a 23, 24 year old kid. I'm, I'm like, people would uh, like, I'd go to the restroom in the hallway in the real estate office. Right. And then I would exit the restroom and see people in the hallway. And then, People would be like, hey, Omar, how's it going? And I made the conscious decision not to engage in small talk because I had shit to do. So I'd be like, good. And I just keep walking yeah. <laughs> because I just they ask me a question. I answer and I leave. And I know I'm supposed to say, oh, great. How was your day? What did I fuck that bullshit? OK, and very early on in my life, I, I, I try to bring incorporate a little bit more of that. Um, now, now I may go in the other direction. I, I see the value in making small. I mean, I'm sitting here, right, running a podcast, so I, I have to learn how to talk like normal people now. So let's kind of just sharing a little bit about myself with you. Yeah. Okay, now you, anything else you want to cover? Ask me about me. Talk about you. Whatever. I I I try to make the podcast more about the guest. Um, because I, I tend to talk about myself too much. So I, I'm really happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about or whatever you want to hear. I just want to share, I'm growing my mustache for Movember. It's to raise awareness for prostate cancer. Okay. And if your viewers can Google 1,000 men, 1,000 mats. Uh, what, is, what is that? I'll, I'll, put a, um, I'll write some of that in the description too and put a link if you want to share the link with me. Yeah. And it's a very charitable thing where they're trying to raise money for 
men's prostate cancer. Okay, 1,000 men, 1,000 what? 1,000 men, 1,000 mats. Mats, okay, what does that mean, mats? The yo virtual yoga, and they're oh. trying to get 1,000 men to do yoga virtually all around the world. And there's two more sessions left, and they're doing it every Sunday. And it's LA, 10 a.m., next Sunday, LA, 10 a.m., and it's all to raise money for charity. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll be there on Sunday because I've uh, yoga has been this thing that I've always wanted to do, but I just procrastinate and, and then just I want to do it because it, it ties into what I'm doing posture camp also. But I'm just a master procrastinator. If it's not important to me, I just put it off, put it off, put it off. You know, I'll use this as an opportunity to start learning yoga as well for myself. But I, I'll be there. I'll, uh, I'll promote this this link and this cause on, on the description of the video also since that um why don't you tell the audience what why is that cause um prostate cancer near and dear to your heart i feel like it's a worthwhile cause because a lot of men don't know that they have prostate cancer mm. and it kills a lot of men in, in our community especially mm. where we don't go to the doctors when we should get checked up so the more of us that can be aware of it and read up on prostate cancer okay. and more them, the safer we can be okay Okay, anything else you wanted to talk about that I that may not have covered or, or just glossed over? Would you want to talk about being on the spectrum and knowing about that and how you navigate everything? How well, does that change? Well, that was actually the um, the real catalyst for this podcast. And I'm on, like, this might be my ninth episode, uh, my ninth actual interview with another person. And uh, as I may have mentioned to you earlier, I've going on 12 or or more jobs in the last 10 years to a point i'm actually proud of it this is a little bit embarrassed like if you go into your next job interview and the employer's like well tell me about the jobs you have well mr employer this might be like my 14th job if you hire me in the last 10 years like who's gonna hire a guy like that nobody it's not something that i want my next employer to know about but now i'm like proud of it i'm like you know what i'm a professional job getter at this point i will ace any interview because i've had so many interviews i'm a, a fucking expert interviewer now you know i will um I will ace the interview. I have like a one-to-one -one ratio on interviews to jobs. Part of that is because I go for the shittiest fucking jobs available. Busboy, warehouse worker, all minimum wage jobs. Why? Because I know I'm not going to last there very long. So why go for a good job when you know you're not going to be there? for? When you have a history of, of not staying at your job very long, you're not going to go for the best jobs. You're going to go for the worst jobs. So as far as that... I will ace any interview, not because I'm an expert interviewer, but because I'm going for the worst jobs. And they're like, well, they're looking at my resume like, damn, Nick, couldn't you get some six-figure job somewhere? I'm like, yeah, but I want this job right now, man. Don't, you know, like, like, don't fucking give me shit about it, man. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't even know what, what, the, uh, what the question was. Help bring me back on track. Oh, the spectrum. What would you do? What job would you do if you could do anything long term? What is it that would get you up every day? Exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm working with a buddy doing sales and marketing for his law firm. But it's, a, um, it's my college friend. So he kind of knows me very well. He, uh, he leaves is very flexible. Like I'm, you know, like I'm doing this podcast while I should be doing stuff for the law firm. And but like as long as I get my shit done, you know, he's cool. I, I, it's very flexible. I can 
work any time of day I want doing his sales and marketing stuff. I'll, I'll even do work on the weekends, you know, so it's not a, he's not judging me per hour if I'm pushing um, work as long as there, there's a daily task, there's weekly tasks, there's monthly tasks. And so if those get done, then it's, it's cool. Um, uh, and I'm doing exactly what I want right now, which is when I say when you're aligned with, with what you want to do, the, the money doesn't even matter. It's, uh, I look forward to waking up every day. I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I'm not just spouting theory now. I'm saying like I literally work, um, look forward to waking up every day. I have things on my mind. Um, before I go to sleep, I'm like, I'm like, let's get to sleep now so, so I can wake up the next day. And when I wake up the next day, it's like, well, there's things I actually want to do. There's things I actually want to accomplish rather than, oh, fuck, man, I don't want to go to work. Um, but being, um, I only found out I was autistic about two or three weeks ago. Someone just casually mentioned, hey, Omar, you might be autistic. And I'm like, all right. I went and looked at the, the characteristics and I'm like, well, God damn, like that explains a lot. And um, it, it's not severe autism, which is why I could skate by for 37 years of my life and, and not really know. Uh, but it's pretty common for people with what was what used to be called like Asperger's, um, which is which is high functioning autism. Now they got rid of that term maybe seven years ago. But I think people still use it because they identify. It's easier to say Asperger's than to say, well, I'm on this spectrum and I'm on this end of the spectrum and blah, blah, blah. But um i'm trying to i don't know like normally i think most people it's it, like when you have whatever like i think most people will call autism a disability and there's there's two lines of thought if you don't call like i don't consider what i have a, a, a disability per se but it really kind of is in a lot of ways so it's just how do you want to frame who you are there's um, the reason I don't frame it as a disability is because that's just not me. I'm not a, a victim mentality. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people with severe autism to where, you know what, that is a disability. You you literally cannot survive without help from people, from your family, from the government. Um, and there's people in my case where, where, where I can get by in life. I've gotten by 37 years without even knowing I have this condition. Um, and in a lot of ways, I look at it like a gift. It, it's given me a very practical mindset. I think I think at your your average autistic person has a very practical way of looking at the world, which means a lot of things like small talk just don't make sense. Like, yeah, we and when I say we, I mean Asperger's autistic people can learn how to do these things. But while I'm doing it, 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 it still kind of makes no sense to me. Right. Like what? How's your, you know, how's your day? It's great. How's your day? It's great. How's the weather? It's great. How's your family? It's great. In my mind, while I'm running this conversation in one train of thought, there's a parallel train of thought that like, I don't care. I don't know if he cares. Why are we even having this conversation? Um, and, and then that, 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 that kind of gives you an insight into the autistic mind of, of, of how stressful it is to be in normal society because we're forced to do things that are not practical to us. I, I'm fortunate that I'm on the high functioning end to where I, I'm, I'm able to do these things. Some, peop, some autistic people are, are so severely impacted that they can't even function in real life. So, mm -hmm. so that just gives you kind of an insight into how, how we think and behave. And one, one of my 
ulterior motives to the podcast was was yeah to spread awareness about autism i'll i'll talk about it as little or as much as people want that that's literally the catalyst for the show i couldn't figure out a very good direction to go like i just told you i've had at least 12 jobs i'll go list them because for me i'm proud of it now right because see the thing is i used to think what the fuck is wrong with me everyone in my family is like what the fuck is wrong with this guy he you know, he should be a doctor, or a lawyer. He should be making 200 grand a year by now. Yeah, he can't even hold down a minimum wage job. Well, well, I used to see myself as like a, a really damaged, fucked up human being to where after I find out I have autism, I all this behavior is normal for Asperger's or autistic person. You go ask any, it's, it's normal for an autistic person to like just job hop because they hate their fucking jobs and they, life is stressful for me. Like in the normal way, if I'm not doing what I want to do, it is much more stressful for me than a normal person. And I used to just say, well, I just have to take it. I just have to sit there and, and push through. And if I don't, I'm a big pussy, you know. But now I, I understand that, hey, man, this is just how I feel is part of my, my condition. And there's nothing wrong with me. So I just now I'm more like I just flow like water, man. If I don't like this job, well, fuck it. I quit. There's no there's no stress about it anymore. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's how it is, man. Um, I, I talk about it all day long. Like I said, I'm talking about myself is one of my my strengths or weaknesses. So I try not to do it very much if I can help it. But I can't help it sometimes. I just the autistic person is not very good at conversations. They don't know like what the the natural ebb and flow of a conversation. Mm -hmm. When am I supposed to talk? So I've uh, I've consciously tried to do better in my interviews about letting the guest talk and finish his sentences and not interrupt him because the autistic person can tend to be like, oh, I have a great question. I'm going to ask it now. And then so I, you can see me from previous interviews to the, you know, my future interviews where I'll consciously work on that, let the guest finish his thought, write the, you know, I told you at the beginning, if you see me typing, it's not because I'm chatting. It's because uh, I'm typing down questions and I ask them at a better time. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was the uh, the impetus and the catalyst for the show because I have so many different uh, things. Marketing is a very strong uh, skill of mine, but did I really want to start a podcast on marketing? I'm like, nah, I, w I know I could do a, a few good episodes on marketing, but well, fuck, I'm going to quit that just like I've quit every other job that I've had. So once I found out I had autism two or three weeks ago, I was like, that will be the reason for the show. A 37-year-old man finds out he has autism, hit record. <laughs> that, so I could have any guest I want. I could talk about anything you want to talk about. We could talk about any cause that's near and dear to your heart. And and I'm not uh, boxed in by anything, which is a very uh, wonderful position to be in, um, in on the podcast and, and just in life in general. Yeah, a friend once told me, a great piece of advice you know when you said about conversations and knowing when to enter and everything mm -hmm. he's obsessed with baseball and he said it's just like playing catch a good conversation you just imagine a mm -hmm. ball being thrown from you to them and then back i'm gonna and write this down okay the ball to just come back to you and that's that's all when you're talking to those person, just imagine that ball in their hand when they're talking and just wait for it to be thrown back and you'll find a rhythm Ah, I'm gonna. You gave me two good things to think about today: the uh, the baseball analogy, and then uh, well, I did write this down. 
um what, what was that what was that first one about uh, attract don't chase so i i actually pulled really two good life generalizations attract don't chase and and in conversations uh throwing and catching a baseball um did did you have anything else uh that was like nagging at you really wanted to ask me or 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 talk about before before we close it for the audience no thank you so much for this time. no thank thank you for your time man um i don't i don't i've 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 actually gained a lot from from some of these things that you you talked about so thank thank you for reaching out also yeah i'm gonna um i'm gonna roll the credits for i don't know if uh i'm just gonna play the same song to enter um you can say bye to the audience this is gonna play for about 30 seconds yeah and my uh Easy music. i think i'll have a different int intro and extra next time uh but we're just playing the same song at the beginning and the end but i'm glad i'm glad i have this music and I'm gonna, right after this episode ends, I'm just gonna upload it. Like I told you, there's no cuts, beginning to end, no editing. I kinda like it that way. Kinda goes with my, my, my Bruce Lee, just flow philosophy. You know, it's just like, it is what it is. If we made a mistake, then too bad. So we're gonna cut it right here.